0: Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. to see all of you this morning. Um, very honored to be here. When Pastor Josh asked me if I would uh, be willing to preach here, I said absolutely. He asked me if I'd pray about it, and I said man, I'll, I'll pray about it, but I, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm a, I want to be a man of prayer, but uh, sometimes when something good happens, you got uh, to capitalize on opportunity. So very honored to be here. I feel like you, um, uh, I may know you a little better than you know me, um, my wife, Sydney, and I have been back in the community for about seven months now, and we've really enjoyed the opportunity to come worship with you guys. We've came, come here several times to worship, and uh, my relationship with Josh and David goes uh, beyond that. I remember several years ago, I was at a conference in Atlanta and w- with the church that I was on staff at, and I heard that some people from Moultrie were there. And so I was thinking, people from Moultrie, this is great. I'm from Moultrie. So we, we met each other and, and have continued relationships since, uh, since then. And I remember whenever we began to feel like God may be calling us back to Moultrie, um, I, I took a trip to Moultrie to meet with a few leaders in the community. And Josh and David are two of the people that we met with. And the whole time, uh, in this whole process, um, they've been, y'all, you guys, your church has been nothing but very encouraging. I regularly get texts. Uh, from different leaders saying, we're praying for you. Uh, we're so excited about what you're doing. And so that's a huge blessing just for me um, and what we're trying to do. Uh, Josh asked that I preach this morning, but he also asked that I share a little bit uh, more so you can get to know me and also hear what we're doing. So I am Moultrie, born and bred and raised. Um, I moved away when I was 18, thought I would never be moving back. Um, but uh, as the saying goes, you can take the boy out of Calhoun County, but you can't take the Calhoun County out of the boy. So I, um, I always had a deep love for this community. I remember whenever Sydney and I, whenever we uh, got married, we met in Augusta. I remember whenever we would come back here, every time I would leave Moultrie, I'd get very nostalgic, get very emotional. And she'd be like, Brian, you're doing it again. <laughs> and, and it'd be like, man, I love this place. I, we, we never imagined moving back here, but every time I came, I'd, 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 see, I'd hang out with my friends, and, and I'd get so emotional leaving, and it's just like, man, this is God's country. Like, look at the fields. This is amazing. Um... And so, uh, long story short, about four years ago, felt just a strong call that God was leading me to be a pastor. Um, Sydney didn't marry somebody who thought he was going to be a pastor. I loved the Lord. She loved the Lord and uh, felt like God was leading me to be a pastor. And so we wrestled about that, me and God, for about a week. I hardly slept. And finally, it was like, man, if God's calling us to do this, we got to do it. And so we don't know what that will look like, but um, we got to do this. And then shortly after that, I actually heard of church planting, and I didn't know what God was leading us to. I just knew that he was calling us to teach the Bible, to try to love people, to try to make disciples. And um, the pastor who was mentoring me, the pastor at my church in Augusta, he started mentoring me and kind of helping me explore, okay, God, uh, Brian, what is God calling you to do? And I read some things on church planning, and I read things like um, some people just arguing that church planning is one of the best ways to help people who, um, who aren't regularly involved in church or who, who may not have a relationship with Christ. Um explore and experience relationship with Christ and grow to be faithful followers of Jesus. And so I said, man, if that's what church planning is about, then I'm in. Because I've I've loved that ever since the Lord really got a hold of my life. I've loved just helping people, honestly, from where I was, um, uh, where it's something of I don't know what it means to know God. Um, Come to know Christ and follow him faithfully. And so um, we started praying about where, God, where would you have us for the past three years? We've just been praying. I've been praying every week. God, where would you have us? Lord, when and where? Um, And began visiting some cities and then began really feeling a desire for Moultrie. Uh, We were actually, I shared this at a pastor's meeting last month, we were actually visiting Atlanta to see if God would be leading us to Atlanta. So we were praying about Atlanta, touring the city of Atlanta, looking at places where different churches could be because Moultrie still wasn't really high on the radar. And I would just look at people in Atlanta, talking to pastors, praying about Atlanta, and I'd look at them and say, man, I want these people to come to know Christ and I want them to experience the abundant life that Jesus offers. But I really, really, really want friends that I love and care about in Moultrie to come and experience that. And like, I'd love to plant a church in Atlanta, but I must go back to people I love and care about in Moultrie. Because God has changed my life and I want people to experience that fullness of that. Um, and so here we are. In, in March, our church commissioned us, the church I've been on staff at for a few years, to move back to the community. And our hope, our prayer, our goal is to uh, see another vibrant, Jesus-loving, disciple-making, uh, Bible-loving church start in this community. We're, we're praying that it'd be a church for all different types of people in this community. We're praying that God would bring people from all over the community and that people would experience uh, new life. As I think about Moltre and I, th- I think about myself, like my upbringing, it was kind of like religion wasn't something that I just said, oh, that's terrible. It was something that I kind of like to, I don't know, it was like a little soup that I drank every now and then for good health. Um, it wasn't my life. Christianity wasn't my life. It was just, hey, this is vegetable soup. It's good for you. You're supposed to do it to get to heaven. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be healthy. So uh, like take a few doses, go to church every now and then, and I just, it, it, as I've uh, God has woken me up. That that is not what Christianity is about. It's about a vibrant, healthy relationship with God that we've been created to know. And so we're praying that in this community um, that we would be another gospel witness, and that God would really use us. Um, and so we're really excited to be here, honored to be here. We've been boots on the ground for the past six six months, uh, working towards starting a new church. Um, very honored to be here, and um, and and let's go to God's word. So. I'm going to read uh, from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Um, Might be a little awkward if you don't have a Bible. I invite you. Here's some Bibles right here. So, if anybody doesn't have a Bible, um, here's some Bibles right here, and I'll give you a moment to get up and get a Bible. We'd love for everybody to uh, have a Bible because at the end of the day, it's not really what I say, it's what the Word says that really matters. So, um, if you don't have a Bible, there's a few right here. And if, if you're using one of these Bibles, it's on page 1007. So if you're using one of the Bibles that Josh is, is passing out, it's on page 1007. And I'll start in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I'll read. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm going to pray uh, that God would help us in this time. Pray with me, please. Father, we ask that you speak. God, you say that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so we just pray that you would give us spiritual nourishment right now. God, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray, Father, that you would first touch my heart. And I pray for every single uh, person in here. God, that you would touch our hearts, that we would faithfully follow you and have a life of joy in following you. So please speak and please be with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this morning, um, God's calling us to three things, okay? There's three big exhortations in this section that God's calling us to. So I'm going to go ahead and put my chips on the table. This morning, I'm going to urge you to consider or really exhort you to three things this morning. They are, and you see them in verses 22 through 25. Verse 22, it starts, it says, let us. You see that in verse 22, it says, let us hold fast. Verses 22 through 25 have three exhortations that God wants us to do this morning. They are to hold fast. So the first thing God's going to call us to is to hold fast. The second thing is in verse 23, uh, excuse me, I'm mistaken. Verse 22 is to draw near. So the first thing that God's going to call us to do is draw near. The second thing God's going to call us to do is to hold fast. And the third thing that God's going to call us to do is consider, okay? So God's going to call us to three things this morning, to draw near, to hold fast, and to consider. The book of Hebrews, this book that we're reading from, is a call for Christians to persevere in their faith. And we actually just sung about that. The last song that we sung was about making it to the end. God, we need you to make it to the end. This book was originally written to people who are facing uh, persecution for their faith. Uh, They're facing difficulties. And there's the temptation for them to really abandon their Christianity out of what's coming their way. And so this book calls them, it says, hey, persevere in the faith. And so God, in this section, God gives the people, this was originally written to, three things that he wants them to do to persevere. And this morning, for us here today, God gives us, Three things that He wants us to do to not only persevere in our faith, but to also burn hot for Him. To live a vibrant, authentic Christian faith where we really know God and where we really walk with Him and where we burn hot for Him. It's winter right now. If you you walk outside, you you will know over the past two weeks the weather has changed. It is cold. And in the wintertime, a fire is really, really nice. And, and, and you know if you've done a bonfire, there's two different types of fire. There's what I would call the huddle around fire. Like everyone try to get in, punch, punch in tight because it's, it's, it's flickering and it did not give off much heat. And then there's the, whoa, I need to scoop my chair back fire because this fire is, this is a fire. And what God's calling us to today is to take some steps so that our faith and our spirituality and our following Christ is an authentic, passionate fire that burns hot for God. So he's going to call us to three things to burn hot for God. Big idea, burn hot for God by drawing near, holding fast, and considering. So let's look at, let's look at the Bible. Before I get to these three things that he's calling us to in verse 22... Um, I want to set the stage first, because that's that's what God does first in these verses. Verses 19 through 21, God, uh, the, the, the writer of Hebrews, lays some groundwork for what he's going to say. Look at verse 19. Look at the word since. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And then skip down to verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Then, verse 22, let us draw near to God. So the first thing that this passage does is it gives us, some, it gives us a foundation for what, why we're doing what we're doing. Verses 19 through 21 give the reasons, gives two reasons, gives a foundation. And then verses 22 through 25 give the three things it's calling us to do. So we're going to look at the reasons first. The first reason that we're to do this is our confidence. Our confidence to enter the holy places. Look at verse 19. Verse nineteen says, "Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places." One of the reasons it gives us for for for, 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 for drawing near, for holding fast, and considering is that we, if you are a follower of Christ, you have confidence to enter the holy places. That sounds good and all, but, I mean, holy places isn't something I, a word I use a lot. Like, what, what is it talking about here? What, what is this confidence that we have? This is a theme in the Bible, okay? The, 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 a theme in the Bible is God's presence with his people. How can people, how can God dwell with his people? So in the Old Testament, think back to the Old Testament. This is before Christ. This is leading up to Christ. In the Old Testament, God chooses the nation of Israel to be his people, and one thing he does, he, he instructs uh, Moses, I believe it's in Deuteronomy 25. He says, I want you to build for me a tabernacle that I may dwell with my people. And he tells him exactly how I want you to build it like this. I want you to have this inner room. I want you to build the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to put the mercy seat on top of the Ark. That will be the place where I especially dwell amongst my people. And then if you fast forward to Hebrews, Hebrews actually points back to this and says, you know what? That, the tabernacle and then the temple, That was a shadow, that was a a picture of the real thing in heaven. That God in heaven has a holy place, he has a holy throne, he has a a holy places where his presence is especially at. And in the Old Testament, that was just a shadow of that. And verse 19 says, we have confidence to enter the real thing. We have confidence to enter the. The real holy places. We have confidence to approach God's throne room in heaven. This is a really big deal. Especially for the people that this is written to. Uh, Most scholars believe that the book of Hebrews was written primarily to Jews who had become Christians. So they would have known the Old Testament. They would have known uh, the temple and the tabernacle. They would have known... That the most holy place, the place where God especially was known to dwell and speak to his people, was a place where only one person was allowed to enter one time a year. Now, think of that. That's exclusive. I'm from Augusta, and in Augusta is um, the, the, the Masters, the, uh, the, what, what's the, what's the Golf Course said? Augusta, Augusta National. Thank you, I'm hitting a blank. Augusta National was exclusive. It was so exclusive, it made you just want to go in there just to see what's in there. It didn't didn't have advertisements. It didn't have like, oh, this is Augusta National. You could have driven by Augusta National and never known it. All it had was big bushes in front of it, so you couldn't see the course at all. You had no clue. You could live there, and if someone didn't tell you, no signs, there's Augusta National. And it just made you, man, I want to go in there. One time I almost took a turn and supposedly they have little things that come up that if you try to go in there, they're, they're going to get you. So I didn't. <laughs> but, but think of this. As exclusive as Augusta National was, one of the, um, one of the tensions in the Bible, I told you that, that God has always desired to dwell with his people. One of the tensions in the Bible is that there is a gap between God and his people that makes it hard for God and His people to have a relationship and to dwell together. The Bible teaches that, that, that man was created and those was the Garden of Eden and that God would walk with man in the garden. And then what happened? Man falls into sin. And then there's a gap between man and God. And so that's why God gave the, the tabernacle. He said, I want to dwell with them. But they couldn't enter but one time a year and that was to make atonement. There was a gap. And now this is teaching that if you're in Christ here, if you are a Christian, you have, what's the word? It says we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. I just want to pause right now. That is amazing. That is amazing that you have confidence to approach God's heavenly throne room. Not only like, hey, you can knock a little bit, but like, Stay back. It says you have confidence. And look why. Verse 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. It's not just that we have confidence to enter. I mean, there's a reason why there's been this this gap. There's a reason why the, the tabernacle had to be created. There's a reason why. And this is saying that because of the blood of Jesus... We can now approach God's throne at any time. Because of the blood of Jesus, it has swung wide the door to enter into a relationship with God and to dwell with God, to be near to God. Thinking back to the Old Testament, this is, this is um, another picture in the Old Testament with the sacrificial system. So in the Old Testament, the way that God used to relate to his people, remember there's that gap. There's that gap and God says, I want to have a relationship with my people, but there's the sin gap. I'm a holy God, my people are sinful. A holy God can't dwell with sinful man. And so God gave them sacrifices to, and it says to atone for their sin. But then you fast forward to Hebrews, and Hebrews teaches that those sacrifices, animal sacrifices, didn't actually pay for sin. It just pictured, it just symbolized payment for sin. And Hebrews teaches that Jesus came and that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. That Jesus was a perfect man. He became like us as a perfect man. He lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross and he he paid his life as a blood sacrifice so that we could be forgiven and that that gap could be restored. Verse uh, the the rest of verse twenty kind of describes this. Look at this. It says. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And then it describes that. It says, by the new and living way that he opened for us. It's a new way. The Bible teaches a concept of covenants. In the Old Testament, there was an old covenant, a way that people related to God. And now there's a new covenant. It's a new way. And it's through Jesus. Look, it says, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So we approach God because of Jesus' sacrifice through Christ. The first reason, you can have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now look at the second reason. It's also about Jesus. It's because we have a great high priest. Look at verse 21. So the first reason is we have confidence because of the blood of Jesus. The second reason is that we have a great high priest over the house of God. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So there there could be a lot said about this. There could be a lot said about this. One thing I want to focus on, uh, and this goes back to the Old Testament again, is the role of high priest. So, so the author of Hebrews has given us two reasons for what he said. Stay with me. This is important. Two reasons uh, for what he's going to call us to do. One is Jesus' blood sacrifice that gives us confidence. And number two, the second reason, is that we have a great high priest. In the Old Testament, the high priest uh, was central to the nation of Israel's relationship with God. The high priest oversaw the worship of God and also, and this is key, was the main representative between God and his people. So the high priest served as the main representative between God and his people. And this is teaching that Jesus, not only was he our sacrifice, he's also the high priest that offered the sacrifice to God and serves as our representative. He became perfect. He was the sacrifice. And he also is the, is the representative between us and God. He's our advocate who offers the sacrifice and says, they're forgiven. He's almost like our defense lawyer who says, anytime they sin, Brian may have sinned today. Satan's coming to accuse Brian. And Jesus says, I'm his representative. I represent Brian. His forgiveness has been sealed. My blood paid for it. Case over. I like that. Amen. (laughs) Uh, Hebrews 7.25 says, and get this, Hebrews 7.25 says, not only did Jesus used to live for us, Hebrews 7.25 says that as our high priest, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. So not only did Jesus do something for you in the past, right now, if you're in Christ, Jesus lives to make intercession for you. So there is no gap between you and God. God has bridged that gap if you were in Christ. And that means, now we should try to live holy, but when you mess up, you don't have to beat yourself up with guilt because you're forgiven. Do you see this groundwork that we're coming from? You've been washed clean if you're in Christ, and now you will be clean. If you mess up, God calls us to holiness. This isn't a reason to just sin and do whatever we want to, but if you mess up, you don't have to pay God back. You have an advocate right now in heaven for you. So big idea, these reasons, if you want to sum up these reasons, the big idea is that Jesus bridged the gap between you and God and Jesus keeps that connection going. Jesus bridged that gap and he keeps that connection going. One thing I want you to see, I want to pause right here. One thing I want you to see, and I think this has been evident, but I want to make this uh, super evident. You don't get to God on your own. We do not get to God on our own. You might be here and saying, you know what, I think I'm a Christian. Uh, I believe in God and I'm not exactly sure what it means to be with Him. I try to be a good person or I'm trying to get back in church. I want you to know you don't have to do anything to have a restored relationship with God. In fact, you cannot do anything to have a restored relationship with God. One of the things that the Gospels teach is that those who try to earn their way to God, who try to look to God and say, I can have a relationship with God because I'm good enough. I'm doing this. I'm fasting. I'm tithing. I'm, 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 I'm practicing good sexual ethics or whatever it may be. And they're looking to themselves. Jesus says, you have no need of me. Jesus says it's only those who realize that they're spiritually sick who can come and accept him and accept his free gift and actually receive true salvation. So I want you to see First of all, you don't have to do anything and you can't do anything. And so if you haven't trusted in Jesus and you haven't truly placed your faith in Jesus, I invite you this morning, place your faith in Jesus and you will be forgiven and you will have a restored relationship with Christ or you will have a restored relationship with God. And second, if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a Christian, I just want to remind you of this truth that you did not get saved by your good performance and you don't stay saved by your good performance. Amen. There's a, um, and I remind myself of this all the time because I am custom programmed to slip, to drift. It's like I, I trusted in Jesus. I knew, God, you've forgiven me. I'm, I'm forgiven. It's all because of you. And then all of a sudden I start trying to follow Jesus and let's say I miss a few quiet times or let's say I start messing up a little bit. All of a sudden, I start getting the squirmies. And I, ooh, does God really love me anymore? Ooh, is God really accepting me anymore? And so I just want to encourage you this morning to call you back. The basis of your salvation isn't what you did. It's what Jesus did. And if you've been a Christian for 10 or 20 or 30 years, the basis of God's relationship with you isn't how you perform as a 20-year-old Christian. Amen. So this is a call for us. This is the foundations for what we're going to do. Place our faith in Christ. Trust in Jesus. Trust in his blood and trust in him as your high priest interceding for you. If you've never trusted in him, why not today? And if you have, keep trusting in him today. Okay, so those are the two reasons. Now we're going to go to the exhortations. Uh, So those are verses uh, 19 through 21. The reasons, the gap has been bridged. We have a great high priest. And now the, now the author of Hebrews say, okay, here's what to do. You Christians who are struggling, whose who's flame, your flame for Christ is, is beginning to flicker. It's beginning to go cold. Here's what I want you to do. Three exhortations. The first is to draw near to God. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So the first thing God wants us to do this morning is to draw near to God. And it tells us how. It gives us, it gives us two ways that we're to do this. Look at verse 22. It says, let us draw near, first of all, with a true heart. So it wants us to do it sincerely or genuinely or fully committed. This is the difference between I'm coming to God because I really want him to give me something. Like, God, you're kind of like Santa Claus. And you give good gifts. And I want the good life. And so God... Um, I'll I'll pay my Christian dues, I'll I'll, I'll be not naughty, I'll be nice for you to give me something. That's not not genuinely, that's not sincerely. This is saying, come to God because He's changed your heart and you love Him. You are fully committed to God. So the first way it wants us to come to God is genuinely, fully committed with a true heart. And then secondly, it tells us to come confidently, believing that you belong. Verse 22, it says, let us draw near first of all with a true heart. And then look what it says. It says, in full assurance of faith. This is saying, uh, and get this metaphor. This is saying, drive into the, master, drive into the Augusta Nationals like you own the thing. <laughs> like, don't badge me. I belong here. And here's the thing. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are God's child. You've been adopted as his own. You, you you have a key to the house. You're in the family. And so God doesn't want us to come timid. Let's say you even you sin. God doesn't want you to come to him timid or thinking, oh, no, will God accept me or do I really belong here? God wants you to reverently, yes, reverently, but also confidently say, God, I am yours. If my son messes up, I'm not going to ban him from my room for an hour. I want him to come in. So God wants us to come to him, draw near um, with a true heart and also confidently, and it's because of Jesus was, was done for, because of what Jesus has done for us. Look at the rest of verse twenty-two. It says, "With our heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience," and this is true. If you're in Christ, your heart has been changed. Your heart has been purified and sprinkled clean, and our bodies washed with pure water. You've been washed and forgiven. So draw near. When I was thinking about this and studying this, one of the things that I just thought was amazing was that the first thing, the first exhortation, after this section, after these reasons of what Jesus has done for us, the first thing that God commands us to do is to come close to Him. Isn't that amazing? Like, I'm thinking, okay, He's done all this for me, so God, what do you want me to do? Like, how can I in a sense, like pay you back or something like that. And the first thing that God does, He doesn't say, okay, Jesus has died for you, He's paid your penalty, He's he's pleading for you, so now you better get your stuff in order, now you better go do this for me, now you better immediately uh, go on this journey for me or whatever. God, the first commandment He gives right here is, come close to me. Isn't that amazing that Christianity, now it does have do's and don'ts, and they're all for our good. But Christianity is not primarily about don't do this and do this. It's primarily about a relationship. What's what's the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love is a relationship. Think of the Gospels. Think of Mary and Martha. Now, to be honest with you, my Bible uh, knowledge is lacking right here. I can't remember which one was which, but one of them was serving. Remember one of them was serving? And one of them was sitting at Jesus' feet. And he says, the one sitting at Jesus' feet has chosen the good portion. If you you are in Christ, the first thing that God wants for you this morning is for you to come close and to spend time with Him. God is more interested in you coming near than you immediately start doing. And so I encourage you this morning, draw near to God. This isn't something where it's not a physical place you have to go, but it's a, it's a spirit communion with God. We're in our spirits. We can, we can pray to Him. We can be mindful of Him throughout the day. One of the things I've been trying to do over the past few weeks, especially as a result of this, is just as I'm going through my day, just talking to God, like, God, thank you for the sunshine. This is amazing. Or, God, thank you. I, Sydney and I went on a date this past Friday. God, thank you for good food. Thank you for Jonah's fish restaurant in Thomasville. <laughs> but I'm, in, I'm involving God in that. It's like, God, you're not absent and distant from my life. I want to be, be close to you. And then also I encourage you, set aside times of intentional times to spend time with, God's, with God and his word. To talk to him, to spend time with God in prayer. You know, it's tough to be close to somebody that you never talk to. Something I learned very quickly in marriage, and I'll credit my wife to this one. You can't have a vibrant relationship on last month's dates. Amen. That's good. We need, yeah, we need some wives' amen in that one right there. I learned you can't, you can't have a good Christmas this year based on last year's presents, too, but that's another story. But what, what, what this is calling us to is regularly feeding a relationship. God has saved you. The one who your heart, your soul was created for has bridged the gap and wants to be close to you, wants you to be close to him. So what would it look like for you to commit to draw near to God? What does that look like for you? What practices could you pick up or what mindset shift might that be? If you don't know, I encourage you talk to talk to one of your pastors or if you're um, if, if you're a guest here, feel free to talk to me. We'd love to help you with that. So that's the first exhortation. Draw near. The second thing that God calls us through this morning is to hold fast. You see that in verse 23. Look at verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So the second thing that God's calling us through, he's laid the groundwork. He says, draw near. And now he's saying, hold fast. I've mentioned the people that this is written to. Remember what I said about them. They're Christians. Most people believe that they were were probably followers of the Jewish faith. And then they heard that Jesus is the Messiah. And they placed their faith in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And they've been following Jesus. And now the going has gotten tough. They're all of a sudden starting to cost them. If you look later in Hebrews 10, it talks about a former time when after they came to faith, they they had a hard affliction where some of them got thrown into prison, some of them got their property taken, and so it's starting to cost them, and it seems like that might be happening again. So the going is tough. If you want to think about the fire of their faith, the rain's starting to beat on it and the wind's starting to blow. And the author right here is calling him, hold fast your confession of your hope. Hold fast. Don't waver. It looks like they're starting to waver. He's saying, hold fast to this confession without wavering. And he gives them a really important reason. Look at the end of verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, this confession that Jesus is the Son of God. He's my King. I live for Him. Hold fast to that. Why? For he who promised is faithful. This is speaking to a very important truth. God has promised something for his children. It says, He who promised, that's God. God has promised something, and he is faithful to fulfill that promise. And if you look at the book of Hebrews or at the Bible as a whole, but if you zoom in on the book of Hebrews and look at promise, it's talking about something that Hebrews holds out to these believers if you persevere to the end, You'll receive eternal salvation. You'll receive eternal salvation. Hebrews four one says, "There's a future rest for the people of God. If you persevere to the end, you'll reach this future rest." Hebrews nine twenty eight says, "Jesus, he came one time to pay for sin. He'll come again to make good on his promise." To bring salvation to his people. And this is speaking of the whole redemption of the world where Jesus comes back and makes everything right, where he writes every wrong and brings about um, the perfection and the peace and the, um, the life of perfect union with God in a perfect world that he has promised. This is really important. Think of this. Think of this for people who are suffering. You know, I kind of think, man, God, I'm on your side. Like, I'm following you. Why am I suffering? This is difficult. Like, I would think I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of good. You'd you think I, I'd avoid suffering. But sometimes that's not the way the kingdom works. Sometimes the, the Bible's pattern is suffer, suffering now, glory later. God does not promise us a life of pain-free bliss. Now, praise God for pain-free bliss. Sometimes there's Jonah's Fridays. <laughs> but a lot of times, even being a Christian might cause you to suffer. You might be here and you might be in middle school or high school. And being a Christian is not very cool. You might be here and you are struggling uh, financially. Let's say it's, it's tough to make the, pay the bills. And it's, God, why aren't you taking me out of this situation? You might be suffering because you're a Christian. Let's say there's co-workers or family members and you, are, you claim to be a follower of Christ and they're not. And it's like, man, there's tension here. Like Because I'm a follower of Christ, they're suffering. And God would say, hey, hold on to your confession. It's going to be worth it one day. He who promised is faithful. You might suffer now, but there's a day coming when God, Revelation says, God will wipe away every tear from your eye. There'll be no more pain, There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more uh, uh, conflict. There'll be no more broken governments. There'll be no more broken households or neighborhoods. And everything will be made right. And listen to this. If you're a believer, the God who promised that is faithful to make it happen. So hold on. Hold on. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about what does it mean to hold on? And I think here's what I want you to take away. I think it's a commitment, it's a resolve to cling to Christ and to fo- your resolve to follow Christ no matter what the cost. And so I ask you, if you are a follower of Jesus in here, maybe your life is pretty good right now. That's not always promised. Will you this morning resolve that no matter what comes your way, you are going to hold on to Christ. You are going to follow Christ no matter what it costs. God's calling us. Hold on. Hold fast. Okay, that's the second thing he wants us to do, and now we're coming to the last one. The third thing that God's calling us to do this morning is to consider. Specifically to consider how to do spiritual good to others. Uh, Look at verse 24. The last thing he's calling us to do. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work. So you see the word it says. It says, let us... Consider. So the, 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 the call right here is to think about something. Like God's given us a brain, and he wants us to think about something. And what does he want us to think about? He wants to think about how to stir one another up to love and good works. And particularly, it seems like he's, taught, he's calling us to do this for those in our local church family. So God wants us to bless all Christians, but I think right here he's particularly calling us and saying, those in your local church body, consider how, to stir them, consider how to spur them on. Consider how to put gas on their fire. And the reason I say your local church, look at verse 25. It, it tells us how, how we're supposed to do this. So verse 24, it says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. So one way to, we're to do this is to regularly gather together. Who do you regularly gather together with? Your local church. This is part of what a church is. As I've I've moved to Moultra and come here, I've I've continually had this mindset of, I'm hoping to start a church rather than just to launch a service. Now, God calls church bodies to gather together, but it's a whole lot more than that. This is an intentional, where this is a spiritual family who has made promises to one another, who says, I'm for you and you're for me, and let's go after Jesus together. You see, if you're a Christian, God hasn't just saved you for an individualistic Christianity. This is very important. For so long, I would always read the commands of the Bible as like, you do this, Brian, it's between me and God. And then I started reading more of the Bible, and so many of the commands are how to live with other believers in your church. And right here, God's saying, one of the fruit of a Christian life is intentionally thinking how to stir up your brother or sister to good works, and particularly those that you regularly gather together. And you need to make sure you're gathering together. And so a few, a few encouragements right here. One from this verse. If you're a believer, I think God would have us be joined to a local family. To a local church family. Uh, I praise God for this about Calvary. I know that you guys are really intentional about this. Um, you can't fulfill this command if you're not a part of a church. You can't, if you have no one to gather with, you can't regularly gather together. So, number one, if you're here and you would say, you know what, I'm a follower of Christ. And you're not, um, you're not regularly gathering together with believers for worship and for encouragement. I encourage you, commit to do that. It'll pour gasoline on your fire for God. And you know what else? It'll give you the joy of being able to pour gasoline on other people's fires for God. And if you are a part of a church, or, or if you're not and you want to become a part of a church, I encourage you, the main, um, the main call of this is to use your mind and think about how can I do intentional spiritual good to those that God has placed in my, fa- in my church family. So literally, think about that. Maybe set aside some time today. What would it look like for you to commit, one, uh, maybe pray for one family a week? In, in this church family that God's given me, what, what would it look like if this church committed to pray for one another regularly, what might God do? Or what would it look like if believers and bodies in Moultrie in this church and other churches in Moultrie are regularly inviting each other over just to encourage each other? Just say, hey, I want to provide you a meal, and I'd love to hear more what the Lord's doing in your life and share something that God's doing in my life. How might our city change if there's active, vibrant bodies of Christ in this community who are taking serious the, the command to think about how can I do spiritual good to others. You see, God has not designed you to do this thing alone. He is called. He has designed us to do this with other people. It's really it's dangerous if you try to do this thing alone. Uh, the other week, I was watching. Uh, we were watching the the New Planet Earth series. So I don't know what the title is, but the New Planet Earth, um, and it was it was the deep blue sea, and it was talking about uh, fish and feeding. And those things are phenomenal. I don't know how they get the footage that they do. And it it focused in, and it talked about one of the the biggest uh, feeding, one of the biggest bait fish are sardines. So tons of fish love sardines. And it showed a school of sardines and all these other fish, like shark, dolphins, all these huge predator fish coming to eat the sardines. And it was showing, it was almost like a drama. And basically the narrator was saying, that the, the strategy that these fish use to attack the sardines is to isolate them. So as the sardines, if they're together, have you ever seen schools of fish where they all move together? It's like a little dance. As they're together, the big fish can't get them. It's, I don't know why, but it's too difficult. But what the big fish are trying to do is just swim all through their school of sardines so that they would get separated. Because if they get isolated, if they get on their own, they can easily attack them to kill them. What a picture of this. The Bible teaches that if you're a believer in Christ, you serve the most powerful one, but you have real enemies in this world. the, The devil is a real being. Our flesh, we have a sin nature that's not completely gone. We need accountability. We live in a world that oftentimes pushes us not towards Christ, but away from Christ. And so God says, this is going to sound weird. Be the sardines. Like, regularly gather together and think about, how can I help my fellow sardine make it? How can I help my fellow sardine thrive? God doesn't want you to do this thing alone. Two fires coming together makes a bigger fire. If you can pour gasoline on your brother's fire, think about how to do that. And think about, do I have people that I'm regularly gathering with who I can live out this and encourage one another and lock arms with. Literally, lock arms with. God wants us to have an authentic faith that burns hot for Him and that lasts for the long term. That perseveres to the end until God fulfills those promises. And He calls us to burn hot, to make it, to experience authentic, vibrant Christian life, to have true relationship with him and to make it to the end and to persevere by committing ourselves to being close to him, maintaining active relationship, regularly drawing near to God, holding fast, resolving. I'm never going to let go of this. I don't care what comes my way. I'm going to make it. I'm holding on. I'm not going to stop following Jesus. And then lastly, helping each other. And so I'm going to pray that God would work these three in us and that we would commit to this and experience an abundant life of Christianity that He's called us to experience. Let's pray. God, I thank You uh, for Your Word. God, I thank You, first of all, even for the reasons that You give us. Lord, I thank You that we can have a restored relationship with You because of Jesus. And so, Father, I thank You that You have bridged the gap between us and God. Between us and yourself. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow you faithfully. And I pray that you would help us uh, to keep burning hot for you. Father, I pray that we would burn hot for you. And that we would love you and know you and make it to the end. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be like the fire that starts off hot and then flickers out. And then dwindles where there's nothing but coals. But God, I pray that we would have um, an authentic relationship with you. God, where we are more like you and more in love with you next year than we are today. And God, I pray that we would regularly draw near to you, that we would regularly and uh, commit to holding fast, and that we would uh, cling to you. And Father, I pray that, um, that we would help each other in that, God. Lord, we love you. pray that you would help us do those. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultry.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.